Okay, traveling back in time to the book of Acts some 2,000 years ago. All kinds of stuff is going on in life. You got a brand new thing happening in Israel. Israel was kind of used to, to these new groups popping up and, and these new uh, religions who claimed to know something about the Messiah. They were used to that because it did happen every now and again. And so here was this new group that had just popped up who were the followers of this man named Jesus for the last three years. They had been following this man. And this man was undeniably a prophet at least, but some kind of a worker of a miracle. But the religious leaders did not understand him or his followers. So we're going to try to take a look, go, go right back in time. We're just going to dive in here. And this is Acts 4. Now, it wasn't long here right after the baptism of the Holy Spirit, which is vastly confused today. If someone ever asks you, have you been baptized in the Holy Spirit? To a lot of churches, and let me get into some doctrines of Pentecostal churches and this and that. They think that a person has only received the gift of the Holy Spirit if they have talked in tongues, which is a very much a misinterpretation of the scripture and what was happening here in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is a genesis to the New Testament. You guys remember that the book of Acts is the genesis to the New Testament. It is the very first happenings of God's new covenant church under grace and under salvation and justification by faith. Not by the law and not by works. So the book of Acts is a Christian genesis. It is the very first happenings, okay? So in this genesis of the beginning of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit had not come into the world in this particular way ever. Jesus told his disciples, it's expedient that I go away so that God will send the comforter to you. While Jesus was on earth, he and the disciples followed him in an earthly ministry, one that was very physical at that point in time. No one had been born again at that time. Everybody was following Jesus in a very physical way, watching him, listening to him, but he was introducing the new covenant. Okay? But Jesus is, in fact, even though it says New Testament under Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, that was. Old Testament. Do you realize that? Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John is actually Old Testament. They are not New Testament. Everything that was done in those Scripture in, in Jesus' life was do, done under the law. And that's why Jesus was always telling people, go and make the sacrifices as commanded in the book of Moses, you know, in, under Moses' teaching in the rabbinical law. Go and give 
the proper offering. And he always respected temple worship and he kept people in the Old Testament. But he was bringing forth a new doctrine. Okay. In his teachings, his teachings was talking about justification by faith. Remember the woman at the well, he said, the time has come and now is that you won't have to come to this place or some mountain to worship God, but God is spirit and must be worshiped in spirit and truth. Here is these introductions to New Covenant, New Testament way. So in the book of Acts, our Christian Genesis, we're being introduced to some things that was happening for the very first time. So this was the beginnings. Now the Scripture, keep in mind, the Scripture says that Jews always seek a sign. For them to believe much of anything, they have to see it. And our New Testament, uh, our apostles, our ancient teachers of our way, were no exception to that. Okay? They, were, they needed a sign as well. So what you see here, this miraculous thing, imagine if we're all, we all just witnessed just a little bit ago, they said it in the, in the book of Acts, it was about a Sabbath, a Sabbath day walk from the Mount of Olives where Jesus ascended into heaven back to where they were going to be at where in, in, in this upper room. So they journey back and they're sitting there waiting and the day of Pentecost has come. Okay, the day of Pentecost was the day that the church, the new covenant church, the New Testament church was born. The Holy Spirit, they heard this thing coming. It sounded like a crazy, wild wind coming, violent wind coming down from heaven. And it comes in and, and, and doesn't go throughout Jerusalem, but only comes to them. And there was like 120 people, the scripture says, gathered in this place. Jesus's family, his brothers, his mother, the apostles, other followers, women were all in this room. They seen come, they seen this wind, they seen it come in and it was like tongues. Now get this, and this is what the scripture says, and I'm going to lead us up to where we're at. These tongues, it looked like tongues of fire. And it came up and it split. And it split and went and, and hovered over each person and rested down on them, came into them. Now imagine that. If we were here and you heard this rushing mighty wind like somebody just said, Pat just said, man, it sounds like it's windy. Imagine if the windows just right now just blew crazy and in, that, in, in from that wind came this miraculous looking fire. And the fire came up above me and branched off and went above each one of you and rested down on you. And we all started speaking in tongues. But just for just just so you know what's happening, just pretend now that we're in Jerusalem and these windows are all open. There's no window panes in them at all. And we have crowds and hordes of people all around us in this place from all over the country who are Hellenistic Jews who speak other languages. 
Now you're getting the picture of this. So God's setting up something great to happen. God didn't give it to everybody because they would have been confused if all the people of Israel would have just suddenly had this happen to them. You have to be a believer to have the Holy Spirit in you. So the believers in Jesus who were waiting for the promise start praising God, but when they're talking, it's coming out in various different languages. Many, many different languages. And then as all these people are, are together, they, they, they have a Galilean dialect or, or a, a, a kind of way that they speak. Somehow or another, if you look, the crowds identify them. Listen at them Galileans up there. Probably something like Kentucky. They're, they're hearing all this. Y'all are going to have to believe in Jesus in their own, in their own language. Well, that's a Galilean telling me that. And so they hear all these tongues and they hear all the people who were gathered there in all the different languages heard the gospel. Now, interestingly enough, if you go way back in time, God split the languages for a very specific reason. Because way back in time, during Nimrod's day, everyone was in one accord and spoke one language. And God busted up those people and created different dialects so that they could not communicate to gather together and be in one accord anymore to do their evil imaginations. So God, in his awesome thought process, said, okay, I'm going to bring everybody together. There'll be no more, there'll be no, there'll be no differences and in, in these divisions in the language because I'm going to cause my people to be able to speak at any given moment any language that's, that, that's out there. And so that's what God did. And so the miracle of the gifts of tongues was twofold. Everyone heard the gospel in their own language and the Jews seen this. Now, it's something that they had. Why the why the fire? Why couldn't everybody just started speaking in tongues and not seen anything? Well, because what they require a sign, right? Now, as the church began to go, it only makes sense as they started pushing the wheel forward and God began to add to the church. It was very essential at that point, the, Jew, the, the, the leadership of the church was all Jewish people. There hadn't, there hadn't been no outreach to the Gentiles as of yet. And it was very important to see for the Jewish people to be able to see that God, this was for every person. So the reason for people speaking in tongues in the genesis of our church age was to show these Jewish leaders who were pushing forth Christianity now that yes, in fact, this is for everyone. And they were able to witness it by way of people speaking in tongues. Now, tongues as a gift is one of the most fraudulent practiced gifts. 
And not that the gift is fraudulent, but people are fraudulent because they can pretend to be speaking it and you can't tell if they are or not. Because if you think about it, why? I mean, there are different kinds of tongues, as the scripture says. There is prophetic tongues, which these people were speaking, and other people could hear the language that in their in their dialect. And then there's then there is a prayerful tongue that is prayed between you and God, and then no one can know what you say. Tongues is absolutely real. And God can do with it whatever He pleases. But in the beginning of the church, this is why it was essential. It's not meant to be a doctrine. It's not meant to be. It's a gift, not a doctrine. Of faith. Okay. Or salvation. Nowhere does Jesus tell us that you must speak in tongues. Men came up with that. So here we go. We come, we're coming down from that. And I want to take a look at this. Uh, so they, they go by after this. They're filled with the power of God. They're walking past uh, one of the gates, Gate Beautiful. And there was a crippled man from birth. And evidently he was 40 years old, over 40 years old. And Peter looks at him and says, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, because the guy was begging for money, I give to you, rise up and walk. And the dude that had been crippled from birth, Peter reached down and grabbed him, picked him up, and he received strength in his feet, and he began to walk around, and he was praising God. There was no, there was no need for any physical therapy. He was healed instantaneously. And yet he had never walked, and now he's leaping and running around. Didn't have to figure out how to walk. He just could. And it was a miracle. And so as, as we get down to verse 5, and I'm going to read a little bit here. The next day, the council of all the rulers. Now, now again, uh, Peter and John was, was preaching Jesus Christ and over 5,000 people believed. And the Pharisees, and listen, the Sadducees mainly, and this is very important that, that we know who we're talking to here, who's having this conversation with Peter and John. In verse 5, the next day the council of all the rulers and elders and teachers of the religious law met in Jerusalem. Annas, the high priest, was there along with Caiaphas, John, Alexander, and other relatives of the high priest. These was mainly Sadducees. <clears throat> That's important, and we'll talk about that in a minute. They brought, in two, they brought in the two disciples, and this is the Sanhedrin. They brought in the two disciples and demanded, by what power and whose name have you done this? Then Peter, filled with the Holy Spirit, said to them. Now that's an interesting thing. Filled with the Holy Spirit. Hmm. What does it mean to be filled with the Holy Spirit? The Holy Spirit as the scripture says, can give you utterance in what to say in your time of need. So welled up within Peter, the Holy Spirit that was within him began to speak through him, basically giving him what to speak. Now, there, there have been times and maybe some of you people have experienced this. And as a preacher, I do this every Sunday. As the Holy Spirit gives me utterance, I preach to you. 
Okay? And I give to you the Word of God. I can feel the Holy Spirit welled up within me when I'm preaching the Gospel from the pulpit. It gives you what to say. And then people will come up to you and say, man, I needed to hear that today. And then you know that was God speaking to that person, right? So the Holy Spirit welled up within Peter. He had an opportunity to say something. And so God said, let me take it from from here. And remember, Jesus said, don't be afraid because in the hour that you, you need to speak to these people, I will be with you. I will help you. Okay, now listen at this. He says this. Rulers and elders of our people, are we being questioned today because we've done a good deed for a crippled man? You see, they were just put in jail. And it was late in the evening, so they said, ah, just let them old boys sit in the jail. We're going to give us some sleep tonight, and then we'll look at them in the morning. So they threw them in jail, and they got out of jail. And the very first thing that Peter says under the influence of the Holy Spirit is, have you brought us here because we did a good deed? What did you throw us in jail for? Why are you questioning us? Because this guy over here can walk? Who said at the gate that you all, you religious leaders control, have sat there his whole life and nothing has changed for that man? And now you're one, you got something to say to us because God healed him? He said, do you want to know how he was healed? Question mark. Then he goes on to say, let me clearly state to all of you and to all the people of Israel that he was healed by the powerful name of Jesus Christ, the Nazarene. This was the same Peter. So the difference that we see in Peter, if you do a character study on him early on in in his beginnings of his relationship with Jesus Christ, if you look at Peter in the Old Testament scriptures of the Gospels, as we said, you'll see there was a distinct difference in Peter's behavior because when Jesus was being led up, remember, he was being held in a trial. And basically, this was Jesus again being held in trial because it was Jesus that healed this man, right? It was God that healed this man. And so here we go again. Another trial's taken place, but Peter ran from the other one and then he denied knowing Jesus and even cursed about it. Now, so we don't see no more cursing and we don't see no more running. There was a change made in this man. So he was right with Jesus, physically speaking, in the Gospels of Matthew, Mark, Luke and John. Peter was physically right there with him, but did not have the changed heart and spirit that he had after the day of Pentecost. You can see a distinct difference even just in a mere few hours after the Holy Spirit come into his life versus him knowing about Jesus. He knew about Jesus in the Old Testament book of the Gospels, so to speak. There's a difference in knowing about Jesus and being filled with the Holy Spirit and him being saved. So here this guy is not cowardly at all, but filled with what I've called holy boldness for a long time. And here he is. And this is what he says. It's by the name of Jesus, the very name that he had cursed, not knowing. And these powerful people that could take his life. 
He stood right there and he told them exactly how it was. And listen what happens. And I'm going to read down through here. The man you crucified, but whom God raised from the dead. Why is it important to know that these are Sadducees, most of these folks? Why? What is it the Sadducees don't believe in? The resurrection, right? So he said, this is Jesus Christ who was raised from the dead, by the way. It's by his name that he's healed. What are they going to say? They all knew the dude. They knew the dude. They had passed by him for the last 40 years. They knew from birth that this man was crippled. There was no fake here. This was a legit miracle. And then listen to what he goes on to tell them. For Jesus is the one referred to in the Scriptures where it says, the stone that you builders rejected is now become the cornerstone. Man, you know how much that must have cut to the heart? You would have thought that that would have really, really cut their heart. Oh my goodness. Perhaps this is the Messiah that we have done this thing to. They had a personal experience with Jesus. But listen to this. When it comes to to being a witness for Christ, what makes Christians powerful, true Christians powerful like Peter here, is because we communicate what we have seen and what we have heard. They had personal experience with Christ Himself. They had personal experience with the Holy Spirit. And they couldn't help but to tell it. Because they knew it to be true. When you're witness to something in your life, whatever it is, and you get called to go to court because you've seen somebody do something illegal. Well, you were witness to it. And when they ask you, you tell them the truth because, because it's what you've seen. And it's what you heard. You were there. So you can't help Help to do that because if Jesus is real to you, if he's important to you, if he's the first thing in your heart and mind, you'll be just like those first century believers. You can't help but to tell it. You see. Um, I think this is probably... One of the most powerful demonstrations that I can think of. That there's the truth about knowing God is not enough. And that you have to know God and Jesus in a personal way. And until you encounter Jesus Christ in that way. And you receive him and his forgiveness in your heart. All the religious acts count for nothing after that. We have to actually have knowing is not enough. You see, knowing is just not enough. Look at look at this. 
The members of the council were amazed when they saw the boldness of Peter and John. For they could see that they were ordinary men with no special training in the Scriptures. They also recognized them as men who had been with Jesus. But since they could see the man who had been healed standing right there among them, there was nothing the council could say. So they ordered Peter and John out of the council chamber and conferred among themselves. Listen to this conversation. What should we do with these men? They asked each other. We can't deny that they have performed a miraculous sign and everybody in Jerusalem knows about it. But to keep them from spreading their propaganda any further, we must warn them not to speak to anyone in Jesus' name again. So what does this tell us about these folks? These were people who were meticulously trained in the Scriptures. They knew about God, but they didn't care about the truth. These were, these were your typical preachers of today's world who go out and get a degree and go to seminary and they, they want to be a, a preacher or a priest and they go to school for it, but they've never been called by God. They have a lot of knowledge about God. They've got a degree in all these things and they, they know about the Bible and they know what it says, but they just don't know God. This is a very dangerous thing. To know about God is awesome. But you can have all that and go to hell. You can see the difference between this. This is actually a contrast between knowledge and relationship. You can see the difference. These guys didn't care about that man. They all walked by him for 40 years. The, the Sanhedrin, they, they didn't care about this man. The Pharisees nor the Sadducees. They didn't care that he was sitting at the gate beautiful and he's begging and everything. They didn't, they didn't really care. They, they, they didn't care about the truth. They didn't care about the Messiah. They didn't care about Jesus. They really, they just, all they cared about was they're so focused on their religion. That was all they cared about. I've met people like that in the Christian church today. I actually met someone who said, I would never step foot in a Baptist church. I actually heard him say it. There's people like that about their denominations. Well, I'm Pentecost. I like how they said it. Pentecost. And they got their hair all up in a beehive thinking that God's impressed with their hair. And they stank because they don't wear no perfume or no deodorant. And they think God is impressed with their religious nature? No. There's people that make gods out of their denomination. You know? Shame on us for doing that. Because God don't have a place in heaven for the free will Baptist or the missionary Baptist or the general Baptist or primitive Baptist. He doesn't have a place for the Pentecostal. He doesn't have a place for the Holiness Church. He doesn't have a place for the Mountain Assembly. He doesn't have a place for the Lutheran. He doesn't have a place for the Presbyterian. He doesn't have a place for any of that. You're either a Christian or not. And you either have relationship with Jesus Christ or not. 
And you better accept all the Bible because it's all God's word. It's funny, most, most of your Baptist folks, God love them. I mean, I came from a Baptist background until I learned and knew better. They don't want to believe in, in divine healing, but they sure do want to believe it when they got cancer. They want somebody praying for them. Right? God's not a grocery shelf kind of a thing that you can go just pick out which one you want. You have to take every bit of it. Is, this is either all the whole truth and it is, or, or it's not to you. You can't take it in part. If it says it, I believe it, man. If it's God's word, I believe it. And that's just how I see it and how I believe God wants us to see it. God can do anything he wants. We cannot take the sovereign, omniscient, omnipresent God and, and, and omnipotent God and put him in this little box and say, okay, God, now you can't do that because we're not going to believe in it. And because we don't believe in it, you're not doing it. No, if God wanted to take a fish out of Eastwood Lake and have it walk right over here and testify, he could do that. As a matter of fact, he had one give the old boys a coin one day in its mouth. And open up its mouth, there's a coin in there. Well, I mean, how, how odd is that? He had an animal speak to, to a man, Right? God can do anything he wants. He had a fish eat Jonah, right? And then barfed him up on the shore. I mean, come on, how crazy is that? I would have hated that. I, I would have hated some big whale or something to snatch me up and I'm swimming around with him in the belly and I'm wondering where I'm at and, and there's all this garbage in there around that, that whales eat. And you hear that all day long? noise they make and you're you're waiting i don't know how long it took him to swim him to shore to puke him up and then bleh, and then you come out and there you are you know he had to be a slimy nasty mess and would you go back in the water where you just got ate to wash off i wouldn't have i'd have just walked out of there slimy i was afraid i'd get eat again i mean that's just my imagination going crazy here from the pulpit but there's a difference this is a very good contrast you can see the difference. These were just ordinary men, they said. But these high and mighty, knowledgeable in the Scripture, I mean, just professors and PhDs of God's Word back then, couldn't see past their knowledge to believe what they knew. So my question to you this morning is, how much do you believe of what you know? That's a good question. How much of what you know do you believe? Because if you believe what you know, it'll be transferred into the daily life that you live. You've seen these two ordinary men walking and believing and doing what they knew. Then you see these very learned, very meticulously trained in the Scriptures, religious people who did not practice what they knew. 
They didn't believe what they were horrific people. I mean, they were they were the kind of people kill you and not think a thing about it. Those who believe what they know, those who don't believe what they know. Which one are you?